The first age that I was introduced to drugs and alcohol was nine years old. That kind of, that, that went on for, for about three years. Drugs, yeah. guns, excuse my French and using these terrible words. A lot of kids are dying from knife crime. A lot, a lot more than what people realize. I'm not going in prison anymore. I'm not gonna take drugs anymore. How did, what happened in your life that made you want to stop? What was the catalyst for that? When it comes to knife crime is we're all battling to try and get bleed control kits put up in areas. Not only are you out of the gangs, away from selling drugs, away from taking drugs, you are now doing really positive things with Carla for other people. Yeah. Welcome back to the Emily Abraham Presents the Love Luxury podcast. And today I have with me Carl Scott, who is an ex-gang member, but is now a mentor. So we're going to be discussing that amazing transition that you've made over the years. Let's get to it. Hi, Carl. Hello. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. Thank you for having me And on. we've got your lovely partner in the background watching as well, Carla. She's over there. Um, I know that you come as a duo, but because of the setup, we couldn't do that today. But we just got you on. And then when we're set up a bit better, we'll get her on another day as well. Perfect. Let's talk about the early part of your life, because you've got a lot of layers to you and mm. a lot of things that you're doing currently. But before that, you had a previous life that led you to where you are now. Yeah. So let's touch on where you grew up. Where are you from? So I was brought up um, in Nottingham. Yep. Um, yeah, it was quite, how can I put it? I, my childhood was based around dragged up instead of brought up yeah. in a way. It was, you know, most of my life, family-wise, it was quite strict. Uh, to a certain extent, it's quite, quite strict. And we was, it was always like from pillar to post all the time. So we'd move house pretty regular. Uh, my, my dad was, from, from an early age, my dad left around, I'd say about two years old. But that, you know, the beginning part of that, up, up to them years of being about two years old, there was just a lot of domestic incidents that was happening in my house with my mum. And, um, you know, he was he was in and out of prison and stuff. And, you know, he was, I don't know, my mum fell pregnant quite early with me. So she was like, she was just turned 16. And it was the first time that she'd ever done the deed, really. And obviously my dad was a little bit older. So she was a young mum and so found out that she was pregnant. Um, but yeah, and that was quite difficult for her. Um, and the the relationship that she had with my grandparents, the you know there was a conversation that went on from an early age for me to be adopted. Um, but the thing is, the adoption would have come from it wouldn't have been someone from outside of the family. It would have been my uncle John, um, and he, and my auntie Fran, which we always do look back at that and think, well, you know, would things have been a bit different if if they would have adopted me because they they was good people. Are they like you know loads of nice family holidays brought up well because he was quite strict. My uncle John. Um, but my granddad, he he stopped that from happening, and he, you know, he he supported my mum. So, what was the reason he stopped your uncle from bringing, like, adopting you? What was the reason for that? Because he felt that my mum should take on the responsibility um, of being a mum. We like, she, you know, she's fell pregnant with me. You're gonna have the baby, be the mum. It was major bed. Lying it kind exactly, of attitude. Yeah. yeah, but she had a lot of support with that. Okay, so there was quite a lot of family support with for me as a child. So you know, there was my aunties and there was certain uncles, you know, that had, that had helped with that. And obviously, my grandparents, I'd, I'd be there quite regular. So yeah, I, w I was quite looked after. But obviously, because of the stuff that was going on between my mom and my dad, 
there's a, a lot of manipulation can happen within mm -hmm. relationships, you know, and if something's bad that goes on between a, a male or a female, you know, you, they seem to keep like, keep going back to that. Mm -hmm. And people are questioning, like, why would you go back to something like that? But obviously love works in strange ways, and that's used to be what happens. So the final kind of part from that for my mum for her to leave was there was, there was a major incident at, at home, and, you know, he... Yeah, there was big arguments and stuff, and he he did he tried to kill me as a, as a baby. I don't know if he was just so much as trying to kill me. I don't know if he was trying to scare my mum. Mm. So he like hung he me out. He was using you as a tool. Yeah, yeah, he's just trying to keep it a manipulation. Mm. Um, and he hung me out some windows, but it, you know I was crying and stuff, obviously because there was a lot of shouting going on. Um, he's he's obviously pulled me back in, and he was running around the house with like a standing off and stuff, and he was just kicking off in the house. But I think that was you know one of the final moments really for for at that age really that my mum kind of decided that that was it but luckily for her he got a uh a five-year sentence in prison for an arson um there was uh, a next door neighbor of our block of flats that had been um accused of uh, of an offense to do with minors so okay um him and my uncle decided that they was gonna set fire to his house basically just put law into their own house. yeah exactly that yeah. yeah it turned out he wasn't in the house whether it was true, I don't know that story from back then, you know, of but course, this is yeah. what I know. But, you know, luckily for him, if he was innocent, he wasn't in the house. So, uh, yeah, and he got sent down and that was my mum's way of getting away from it. So so you mentioned that your mum was in quite a terminus relationship, turbulent relationship with your dad. Was he a drug user? No, alcohol. Uh, he had, so he had an addiction to alcohol. Uh, yeah, I'd, I could say that everybody that i know through my family are drinkers they they all okay. love a drink like that's that's just it, that's just what my family do like everything surrounds pubs with my okay. family and i spent most of my childhood years growing up in the pubs so you know my parents was like when like my mum met my stepfather he was he was musical he did a bit of singing he played the bass and that and uh, they they was in a in a bit of a band and stuff so it kind of we was always to and fro and backwards and forwards from babysitter to babysitter and because it was always on the on the night scene and stuff kids can't go in at that, at that of age course, yeah, yeah. so yeah it was alcohol's always been quite prominent in my life really for family um but yeah he did like to drink and he liked to gamble okay yeah he was always in the bookies and and he he was actually a bingo caller we're in a bingo <laughs> hall yeah so yeah yeah he was he, he did love a drink yeah you had a really good relationship with your granddad didn't you mm. tell us a little bit about him so my granddad, he was, what you see is what you get with him. Mm. Well, what you did see is what you got. Mm. Um, he was really, I don't know, it's hard to explain. I love, I used to love going to my granddad's because he, we, we used to have a program when I was a kid called um, Wurzel Gummidge. I remember Wurzel Gummidge. It. I it loved it. Aunt oh, Sally. Yeah, and I, I, <laughs> th I loved that program. And like the best memories for me for that was, you know, if I'd go there on a Saturday night and, you know, I'd sit there with my granddad watching a bit of, a bit of compo, which is last of the summer wine, yeah. and up to because he used to dress himself up with a woolly hat and he'd do this funny face and he'd look like compo. Yeah. Um, and he'd always like pick me up and stuff and he'd give me his he had this wallet that he used to be able to like it's ones that flap open and you tap it and the change comes down the bottom. Oh, okay, so he'd give me a couple of pounds out of that and um, and he had this chocolate I can't remember what it was called like Beauville or something. I had a picture of a ship on the Bourneville. front of it. That's the one, yeah, dark so, chocolate, yeah. So he, be, he loved it and I <laughs> and obviously because I'm a kid, I'll love any chocolate, yeah, yeah. So he used to give me some of that chocolate, we'd sit there and watch a bit of Last of the Summer Wine and that, and then oh. like whilst I'm still sat there, like nodding off, my grand's there over there because she used to smoke like a chimney okay so she'd be sat there knitting away but she'd fall asleep with a, with a cigarette <laughs> hanging out of her mouth and that and there'd be <laughs> ash all over her. it's just hilarious when you look back at it now but 
um, he'd go upstairs and he'd um, he'd get the bed ready and he'd always put, even if it was the summer and stuff, he'd put like a, a hot water bottle oh. in the bottom of the bed. He'd pull the quilt covers back over yeah. and it was nice and warm when you got in. Yeah. So he'd, the bed would be ready and that. And then Sunday morning, he'd wake, he'd wake me up with a, a nice bowl of porridge and he'd sit me down in front of the TV with a nice tray and a bowl and he'd have a garbage on the TV for me on a Sunday morning. So... Yeah, I had really good memories, and I, I used to. There was a certain milk that I used to like, which was like sterilized milk, and th- like, yeah. but it's really tasty, and I still like it to this day. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, and he, he used to order that from the milkman, yeah. and like obviously these days you don't really have many milkmen now, and like, yeah, he used to order me seven bottles of sterilized milk, one for every day of the week, because my school was only like five minutes up the road, so at oh. lunch I'd come to his for oh, okay. my bottle of milk. Yeah. Um, but the older I got, the more rebellious I started to be. Mm. So I'd be called, like, they used to use the word, like, Robber, uh, uh, Yobbo, he used to call me. Oh, Yobbo, like, mm. you know, because I was a little bit worse for wear as, as a teenager. And But, he, you know, all the way up until my granddad passed away, you know, like, he's he always kept his dignity with everything. And he passed away with Alzheimer's. So yeah. he's, uh, all the way till the day he died, it was just dignity the whole time. So, yeah, good man. That's really sad that yeah. you, you, lo- you lost him. It's a fact of life, unfortunately, yeah. isn't it? But I can see that you're touched talking about that. Bless you. Should we move on to where things kind of changed for you? Because I know that when you were sort of really young, you were introduced to drugs and alcohol. So I I had an uncle. So like I said previously before with like my parents being out doing the music scene and that. So... We'd, we'd get passed from pillar to post with babysitters. But mm. if it wasn't, because obviously there was three of us then. So the, my brother and sister was here. And we all couldn't go to my grandparents because there wasn't enough room. Okay. So we used to go to my uncle's house. And when we first went to my uncle's house, it, like, it, it took a while. But then he, he, there was a f- there was an incident at first where I was allowed to taste alcohol. Okay. And he used to like bitter. And uh, that was mm. horrible stuff. But because I was given the permission to drink it, I'd drink it. Yeah. And I, I was like nine years old at that point. But he used to he used to uh, grow his own uh, cannabis. Okay. So with that own growth of his cannabis, obviously he used to have like mountains of the stuff. It was just homegrown stuff. And mm. he introduced me to that. But what I didn't realize were he was slowly manipulating me into doing stuff that I didn't know I was doing. I was under the influence, you okay. know. So, my, yeah, the first age that I was introduced to, to drugs and alcohol was nine years old. But that kind of, that, that went on for, for about three years where abuse started happening between my uncle and myself. So, it, yeah, so uh, that's basically where the, the drugs started from, to be fair. I don't want to talk about this too much because I don't think that it's an important part of who you are, Mm. to be honest. But I do think that if I didn't ask you questions about it, people are going to say, why didn't I ask you? Yeah. Did you find that after the abuse started at such a young age, the gift of, or the giving of, not gift, but the giving of the alcohol and the drugs actually helped numb what was going on for you? So it became sort of a way to cope with what was happening. Yeah, because every time that it would happen, I was always under the influence mm. of something. I mean, good, like, I, I was that age, and you know, back then, uh, cannabis used to give people the giggles and stuff. So mm. you'd be you'd, uh, laughing away, and you'd, mm. you'd be eating food and munchies. stuff. And, yeah, munchies and that. So I was, I was never not under the influence of anything when I was, when I was there, when, when these things was happening. So uh, I, it was always, always cannabis. It was always, always, always cannabis. Um, 
and yeah, and th- th- it nothing would ever happen if I wasn't. So it, it was feeding me the stuff really for for it to happen. So yeah, you, it was it was numbing, and then obviously it came out, and then at that point he started losing the plot a little bit. To be fair, like you know, there was different odd odd little things that was going on, and I was kind of I wasn't I, I didn't click onto everything that was that was happening, and you know he'd he'd say the words that like, and I did say a couple of times, and I can remember saying it like that it was wrong, mm. and I used to say the words you know like this is gay, this is mm. not what like. I was a child. I didn't understand sexualities mm. and stuff, mm. you know. And you know, this is gay. We shouldn't be doing this. Like you're my uncle, and it, it was like making it out that like it's more of a like, like a friendly time kind of thing. Like we're family. We love each other and all that kind of conversation. So obviously, the older you get, you look back at that stuff and you think, Jesus, like he literally did manipulate my whole brain. Yeah. So um, groomed you. Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, a, yeah, really. But the, it was it wasn't just me that he was doing it to. So he was he was doing it to the neighbor's child as well. And obviously I didn't know this, but the, the neighbor's child was coming round quite often. And I didn't really like the kid anyway. But and I thought it was strange that he just kept coming round all the time. But like you know, he he, he come round one day when something was just about to happen and actually saved something from happening. It was actually a godsend that day he come round because you know it started to get to the point now that you know I didn't really want to be there anymore mm-hmm. because this stuff was happening every single time. So. But I had no choice to go there, um, and there was occasions that you know I did have an op- opportunity to go to my grandparents' house, but my brother and sister would end up having to go to his house, and it was like this could happen to them. So I'd put myself in that situation just mm. to keep it from them it happening to them, and just keep it just happen to me. It was just a, it was just the norm for me at that point. So yeah, it's, it it was crazy. It's, it's tragic because you were you were a kid. Mm. And you were having to think about the protecting of your younger siblings at such a young age. Mm. That's a heavy burden to bear for anybody, even as an adult. How did it come out? Like, how did you, did you tell somebody? Was he caught? What happened? How it came out. So there was, so basically the story behind it was, so the next door neighbor was a little bit older now. So he was like, what, 14, 15 years Mm. old. And he'd, he wasn't that, uh, his sexuality, he was straight um, and he had a girlfriend. So where he had this girlfriend, he was then turned into be manipulating my uncle. So he was bringing girls around to my uncle's house and there was an occasion, and this is a, this is what I've been told. So there was an occasion that he'd brought this girl around to my uncle's house and he got the girl to share a bed uh, with my uncle. Not with the fact of my uncle being involved with anything. He didn't. He'd done it to like wind my uncle up, and he was trying to do things with this girl himself, okay. with my uncle in the same room. Which my uncle obviously got attached to to the next door neighbor's child. So that made my uncle. He's he, he switched a little bit, um, and he was taking a lot of drugs and he was drinking a lot of alcohol. Um, so that when that happened that night, he decided to go and hand himself in at the police station. Um, he was he was under the influence, yeah. He wasn't sober or anything like that. So he's walked himself into the police station and he's admitted what's been going on for the last few years with the next door neighbor's child. So he got arrested, obviously. So the next day that that happened, I've got back from school and my mum used to work for Royal Mail. So she's asked me if I do, she used to do nights. So she said, oh, do you, would you come and walk me to the bus stop? And he's have a chat. I said, yeah, all right, cool. So I've walked her to the, the bus stop and she comes straight out with it. And she was like, you know, has, has your uncle ever done anything to you? And I was like, oh, where did that come from? Mm. So instantly I'm like, no, 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 of course, I, you know, he hasn't done anything because I was a child that used to lie quite a lot. Uh, the boy that cries wolf, you know, mm. anything. You tell me my uh, my laces are black and I'll tell you that they're white, you know, yeah. like just, just constant lies all the time. So 
how we used to put it across is like no one would believe you anyway so why would i admit that because people are still going to think i'm lying so i denied it it wasn't until like the next day i was thinking about it a lot more and i thought no i'm actually going to tell the truth because mm. obviously he's been arrested now for something else mm. there's no harm that can come to me from this so i've got nothing to be scared of so i walked her to the bus stop the next day and i told her the truth um then as soon as i told her the truth it all kicked off from there so you know the police station come about and sit in front of cameras and back then having people sat with you you'd usually expect you know if something had happened between a, a boy and a male or a male and a male they'd have women officers that would sit there and talk to you because it would make you feel more comfortable and it wasn't like that i had four police officers in there instead like male so it was really awkward for me so as a child i i, I look back and i think did i ruin the case myself because i was sat there awkwardly laughing and when they'd asked me the questions about the deep stuff, like I didn't really want to go into depth about but I had no choice because it was a case. And I, I'd had a, like a little giggle because I was feeling really awkward. But you do when I'm like yeah. that. If I feel really nervous yeah. or Im embarrassed, I'm saying, <laughs> but it's a, the most awkward time to laugh. So you were in that situation. And I laughed at the wrong time, to yeah. be fair, you know. So, um, so, yeah, so I did that. Um, and then obviously the stuff had gone to call um, and my case got dropped. Okay. So they didn't go forward with my case, but then he got four years for his, for, for the next door neighbour, as as well as they found like, I think it was like 30 black bags of cannabis in his uh, loft that he'd homegrown. Okay. And back then, obviously, that wasn't really that bad, to be fair, like mm. with the homegrown stuff. So he basically got four years in jail for that. So that was kind of like an end of an era for that whole scenario. And from then, it was just... There was nothing really further that went on from that. My behavior just got a little bit worse. So the, the whole abuse thing had not been spoken about then. It just got kind of forgotten. So I've just been left with that whole feeling of what happened and nothing happened from following on. So that was going to be my question. So this has all come out. How old were you? Uh, I was 13 when it came out. So you're really young still. Yeah. But a, a really pivotal point in your life. Mm because 13 is such an important stage where you need parents' support because mm -hmm. you're feeling insecure, your body's changing. Yep. So did you feel like you had support or was it just not there at all? No, because I, I've always I've always spoken about it like that. It's, it's my brother and sister uh, and, and was the, the children of my stepfather. Yes. And, and I'd, I'm not going to say that I was an angel of a child because I wasn't. Like mm. I'd be lying to say that like everything that, or the way that I was treated was, wasn't my fault and I blame my stepdad or my mum, I'd, I'd, I'd just be like, that's just immature to say that. Yeah. But there were certain elements of my childhood that could have been better, that, you know, just, li just little things. You know, I'd take the rap for certain things that I hadn't even done anything wrong or any, and even if I'd done it, I was in a catch-22 situation, even if I'd done right or wrong, I'd still be punished for stuff and, and I'd be punished quite, I'd, I'd be literally manhandled by, by a grown man and it's, you know, in the end, the pain that of the stuff that I'd be getting from being hit and stuff, it just didn't hurt anymore. I'd been I'd hit so many times, it just don't... It you get just, to become immune to Yeah, it. it was just a norm now. Mm. Um, but there was an occasion, so uh, like with, when it comes to school, I, I was being bullied at school and I was really quiet. And obviously now when I look back, I knew why. Like I was really isolated with stuff that had gone on from, for me. It, it just literally made, just made me sink within myself. And mm. I was being bullied by this certain kid. And when it had all came out, it, it felt like uh, a weight lifted off of my shoulders. So, and I'd always been told as a child, stick up for yourself and always go for the bigger one. And the rest of them will leave you alone. Mm. Sometimes that don't work out, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so 
He was, yeah, he was just terrorizing me at school. And, it, you know, it was really embarrassing me in front of my friends. So it had come out and I'd had enough. So that one day I literally exploded. I did a number on him and the teachers all had to like get me off of him. And I lost friends because of it, strangely, because it wasn't my character. I wasn't like that. I, was, I wasn't a violent child. I was never really rude or I never was aggressive to anybody. I've never bullied anybody and stuff. And I actually lost friends because they like, looked at me differently because I'd done that just by sticking up for myself. Mm. So I got excluded from school for that fight. And then when I got back, I got a good idea for sticking up for myself. Oh, which so again, after they've told you to yeah. stick up for yourself. <laughs> yeah, so I'm yeah. like, it's just like a yo-yo. I'm just like, well, yeah. <laughs> what's going on? You've just told me to do that. Mm. Um, so yeah, so that that was that was leading up to that age, I thought. So what was the crowd of people like that you started hanging around with in your teens? Like who were you associating yourself with? I've always been drawn to older people. Always been drawn to older people. Um, when that had happened, when that had the 13 years, we, I started going into a youth club. Um, and in this youth club, they had a joint on boxing club as okay. well. Um, people that obviously might, might watch this, it was for ball youth club. So everyone, everyone used to congregate there. And I started, I started interacting with boxing. So I got my, I tried to get myself involved in something. Like I say, I wasn't a violent person. Mm. I would, I was scared to hit somebody. Mm. And, um, and if I was to get in a fight, I'd rather kick you in the shin and run away than rather have a full on scrap with you. It just weren't me. So I didn't know how I'd get on with the boxing, but I got on all right with it. It was, it was something that matched me and I was doing really well. Mm. But it was a youth club and there was a lot of older people that was in there. And I was more drawn to the older people in the youth club than I were, the boxing. Even though I was still boxing, I was still drawn to it. Mm. And, you know, I didn't have a lot of money as a kid. Families was just working no end of hours just to pay the bills. Mm. Christmas times was the times we'd get treated throughout the year, we'd get nothing. Mm. Um, and these kids were sitting there with your, you know, your expensive crisps, your expensive, expensive drinks that I can't afford to have. And, and I wanted to be like that. Like, why can't I have that kind of drink? Why can't I have them packets of uh, salt and vinegar walkers? You know, like, that's what I want to have. So I started to slowly drift within them. And um, and that kind of slowly took me onto the streets, really. And I found that I was getting more attention from the older generation than I was getting from at home. So, you know, if, you're, if that's what you're getting, if you're not getting the attention indoors, you're going to find it outside. You're just going to stick with the outside. And that's how it escalated. So that was your introduction into gang life? Yeah. Yeah. You did have some therapy, didn't you? I had behaviour therapy. Yeah. Um, I had a stutter. Okay. Um, and that was, that's probably caused by most of the stress that mm. I was having. So I went to behavioural therapy. And I hated the woman in there. Like she, oh, she was just so not empathetic at all. Yeah. Um, she was just very, uh, how can I put it? straight to the point all the time mm. just you know there was just no obviously you know when it comes to therapy and stuff they're not really supposed to show sympathy anyway because then the sympathy that actually turns the session into them and not about me empathetic way of like understanding and stuff i'd never got that with her so we had like a, a, a like a hate relationship when i'd go in there i'd be an absolute <laughs> i just wouldn't be very nice yeah. in there so as therapy would go it wouldn't it wouldn't go anywhere so I weren't getting any help with my behavior. I wasn't getting any help with any of my issues that I'd gone through and stuff because I wasn't allowing it to because I didn't like her. But it was really difficult to get back then in the 90s. There wasn't much about. Compared to like today, nowadays, you can you can make a phone call, you can get a referral. You, can, you didn't have that then. So that was kind of like my last, my only opportunity really as a child to try and get some sort of therapy. So 
my therapy turned into crime. That's you started criminal activities and that was your outlet for how you were feeling inside. Yeah. How were you feeling inside? Like what were the emotions that you were feeling that you felt you needed to do these things to get that out of you? I, I was angry at everybody. So I didn't really care about anyone to be fair. I was menaced to society. And I think most of us were. We was all, you know, you have that antisocial behavior and mm. stuff. And we was literally causing chaos in the community. So we'd just do anything that would cause trouble and we'd think it was fun. It could be something as just simple as like putting someone's windows through. Okay. We'd think that was hilarious. Uh, like not even thinking about the damage you're causing putting someone's windows through or they could have children in their house or anything like that. We didn't think of that. We was children ourselves. So... Mm. It, it was, yeah, just it just started from just petty stuff at first, you know, breaking into cars and um, joyriding and stuff around the estates and that. Can I ask you something? Was it, when, do you, when you think back at those times, you had a lot of anger, you were with these other kids that had a lot of anger mm. and you were doing these things that were really silly. You weren't thinking about the consequences because you were a kid and you couldn't, you, you kids don't think about consequences no. or things like that. But was it that little adrenaline rush that you got from doing those things that encouraged you and made you feel good about yourself after you've done it that made you keep doing it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Mm. It was fun. Mm. So, you know, some kids at that age would find it fun climbing a tree. Yeah. Some people would find it fun making a rope tree and swinging and going into a lake. Yeah. That weren't fun for me. I just I thought that was boring. But... That stuff was exciting for me. I enjoyed it. I couldn't wait to go out. I couldn't, and and at that point, I'd been expelled from school, so I had nothing else to do. I was at home constantly. My parents was at work, so I had I had the roots to myself. I could do whatever I wanted, and that passed the time for me. And it was it was fun. We had a good giggle doing it. I mean, we had giggles at other people's expenses. Yeah, of course, I understand that now, but it was, yeah, it it just it passed the time. It was just all the, you know, the con the congregating, the conversations you'd have between each other. Because we all, we didn't cause trouble all the time. But it was just, you know, we could be a, a crowd of crowd of lads and we'd be standing in, in an alleyway or standing on the corner of somewhere and just having a bit of a giggle. And But then it get, it gets to the point, you know, if people walking past you and stuff, they're really nervous to walk past you. Mm. I see that now. Mm. But back then, you know, we didn't care. I and mean, we probably would have, like, caused chaos with them walking past us anyway. Like, that's just, we was horrible as, as mm. kids. So yeah, it, it was it was exciting. I I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I understand the psychology behind that. Yeah. Because you're getting a rush, and you're forgetting about the bad and negative feelings mm. you have because whatever you're doing is giving you an outlet, like you said, to feel a totally different emotion mm -hmm. and a different feeling. So that's what you were replacing those negative feelings with, with the behaviours. So yeah. I understand that. I understand yeah. why as kids you would have done that. I mean, obviously we as adults know it's completely wrong exactly. and that you would have need, you know, maybe more boxing or more things to fulfil your time or more help or more love and attention. But if you don't have that, what are you to do? And that was the, and I, I, I did, I, I did do the boxing and I, I, I did three tournaments that I'd won. Yeah. Um, and I, I did do well at it, mm. but it just still didn't, it, it just still didn't do something for me. Like yeah. there was something missing. Yeah. And I, I, I just, I would much rather just be on the streets. I spent most of the time on the streets than I did at home. And it, and even I didn't like my family that much. I'd actually caused trouble at my own house. 
even with my brother and sister in there, they'd be scared. They, you know, I'd I'd egg my own house. We'd all just stand there laughing, egging my own house just to wind my stepdad up because he used to get so angry. Mm. And he'd come out and he'd be effing and blinding at the Mm. door. And we'd just run off down the alleyway. Mm. I even stole my stepdad's car and drove it. Well, not even drove it because I couldn't snap the steering up. But we got inside the car and there was an alleyway straight facing that car. And we rolled it so it stuck in the alleyway where we had to climb out of the sunroof to get out of the car and just left it there. Like, that's that's how much I used to just terrorise my family. But at that point, I didn't care because no attention was being shown to me. Mm. Why should I care? Mm. Like, you know, there was nothing being, there was never anything nice to be said. And this is the, this is, this is the issue, like, you know. There's, there, there could be children that could do so much negative, but they could also do a couple of positives within that. But it's the negatives that outshine the positives, and that's mm. all you concentrate on. Mm. And that's how it were for me. Mm. So I just used to do the negative because it used to get that much attention. And I'd be uh, I'd, I'd be bad, like really, really bad. To be fair, if you watch that, I don't even think I've even admitted that I've even done that, but I have now. <laughs> it was me. Is he still alive? <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah, he's still alive. You lived in a hostel. Where was the hostel? So the hostel was on an infamous road in Nottingham called Forest Road. I know Forest Road. I used to live in Nottingham. Did you? I yeah. lived in Park. I was very lucky at that point in my uh, life. Okay. But yeah, I lived in Nottingham. Yeah, so Forest Road, obviously very infamous, in, in, infamous for prostitution and drug dealing. It was right along Forest Fields where Goose Fair and stuff is. So, you know, there was a lot of activity that used to go on there. Um, Can I just ask you, how yeah. old were you? So is this when you first left home? So I left home at 15. Okay. So at w- when I'd left home at 15, so roll it back. Yeah. So f- at 15, I'd left home. I was, I went to stay. Well, originally, actually, I didn't leave home straight away. My parents had broke up. So where they'd split up, my mum went and stayed at my grandparents and my stepdad was supposed to stay in the house with me and my brother and sister. Then I've got back and no one was there. So most of the expensive stuff had been taken out the house, but there was no one there. And the two dogs were still left in the house. So I thought, well, like, where is everybody? I didn't think about it first of all for the first night. It was all right. I just thought, yeah, all right, for I'll kick back and I'll just watch a bit of TV and that. And that's what I did. And then woke up in the morning, still no one's come back. And I'm thinking, well, where is everyone? Mm. So I um, I used to pay phone back then because obviously I didn't have mobile phones. Um, and I phoned my grandparents' house to see if my mum was there. Mm. She was there. And I told her that, like, you know, where is everyone? So she was like, oh, well, you know, me and your, your dad's taking a bit of a break. He's going to stay at the house with you and, and you and your brother and sister and we'll see if we can work it out. I was like, well, he's not here. She's like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, he's not here. I'm on my own. So it turned out that he took my brother and sister to his mum and dad's. Okay. And then I got left in the house on my own with the two dogs. So, so nobody had a conversation with you. You just walked home yeah. one day. There's nobody there. Your mum's not said nothing to you. Stepdad's not, and they've just forgotten gone. about you. Yeah, gone, yeah. I thought that, right, sweet, party. I'll get one of my pals around. Yeah. So that's what I did. So I had all my friends around the house, causing absolute chaos in my house. One of my friends that's quite infamous in Nottingham, he set fire to curtains in my house and my old living room went up and it was just all, <laughs> it was just all like a, a buzzy party, yeah. you know? And, um, Can I ask you something? At this point, were you using drugs? No. You weren't drinking? Odd, odd occasion here okay. and there. Wasn't my thing, really. Okay. After the thing had stopped with my uncle, I didn't really go back with that. Okay. So it wasn't really for me. Yeah. Um, I was just doing it off pure high off my own life, okay. really. Um, odd occasion, I'd have a bit of t- a tipple of alcohol here and there, but nothing nothing major. Okay. I didn't really have the money, and I weren't really into stealing back then. So uh, and the odd occasion, a little chump bar here and there from the shop, but other than that, nothing. But 
So yeah, so the next door neighbour had made a complaint, and uh, my uncle used to be one of the management at, co- at the council at the time in uh, in Bullwell, and um, he come round with the police, and had me removed from the house. So my own uncle had me removed from the house. I'm basically like, well, where am I going to go now? I've got yeah. two dogs. So luckily, my uncle, my other uncle Martin, he took me in, and um, he took both dogs as well, and I went and stayed with him for a while. So. I had nothing to live on, but my mum was still getting my child support. Okay. So I bent, I kicked up a fuss about it and ended up getting the, because it used to be the post office books back then. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got the book off my mum and said, that money's mine. You've obviously, I'm not with you no more. I'm staying with Martin, so I need that money to survive. Mm. So I got that from her. But within that time, I was obviously, I was still, you know, messing around on the streets and stuff. And obviously being at my uncle's house, he was really laid back, ex-military. He was a drinker himself. He was an alcoholic. Um, and we could do whatever the hell we pleased. Mm. And I did start smoking cannabis when I'd gone back there because I could just do whatever I wanted to do. And I ended up managed to get a placement into a into a hostel. But you know, this around this time, um, I was having a couple of fights. Now, I, I, you know, our, our friends, we, we was just doing things. We was robbing people in the streets and stuff. So the the crime started to get a little bit more escalated. Mm. My friend was hanging around with with a lad that like none of us liked. He was a bit of a dodgy dodgy kid he was you know he's getting himself mixed up in things that he shouldn't be doing but yeah. he was seen with my mate and we kept having a word with him you know saying you know leave him don't hang around with him you know so it's not it's not good um and this lad apparently had robbed um a couple of jamaicans like little stashes so um yeah they kind of like pulled up one night and they they stabbed my palm in the chest so yeah that that was like did a pro- he survive no 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 he died in my arms Aww. so yeah so that that refers to your best friend's death mm-hmm. that I've got notes about. Yeah, but that what? both goes in by the by with the hostel as well because okay. it was around that time. Okay. Um, I moved into so after that had happened, obviously he passed away. He, he died in my arms, and obviously that had happened. What impact did that have on your life? Well, he was my best friend, so mm. it was hard. But at that time, you don't think about it as much. Like you know, it's it's hard to explain. In that life, these things happen. Yeah. You never ha- expect it to happen to you or any of your friends dying. Uh, not in that in them circumstances anyway. Um, but it was the norm. Like th- there was a few people that had passed away that we knew. You know, someone got shot in the head. Like there, there was a few things that had happened. But it was just like, oh, oh what brother got killed? Like, so, oh, okay. You know, oh, what did what he he's died? Did he? What happened to him? Why oh, he, he was in a police chase? Had a car did crash. But didn't it, didn't it ever make you think? Oh my God, I'm running in these circles. Nope. It could be me. Nah. Because you don't think like that mm. until it actually happens, which then it did yeah. six months later. So I'd had a fight with someone. I was always one that used to take upon this stuff because that's just how I were. I yeah. was just, I, I was ruthless. Mm. I didn't really care. I had nothing to care about. Like I said before, I hated the world. And I had a fight with a lad. A couple of weeks later, like I said, I'd, I'd started smoking weed then. And mm. I needed to go over to a certain part of an estate and... Um, use a payphone to phone up someone to get something and the guy didn't have anything and then there was a few lads that had come from out of like a dark part of where where they were and they shouted me over and I spotted that the kid was there mm. that I'd done what I did to and then I got jumped by all of them and, and it, I, I had an opportunity to run but I didn't I didn't run mm. you know I just stayed where I were and I got jumped and then I got stabbed in the thigh so I was left then um and I fainted with my hand on the knife. So you know, obviously I was thinking of pulling it out, mm. I expect. So, but the, the hospital said if I'd have pulled it out, I wouldn't it would have made it. Yeah. I'd have died. So, so that had happened, which is obviously that's another significant event. 
Uh, and again, it was used as a badge of honor. Oh, I've been stabbed, yeah. Right, I've survived a stabbing. Like, that's just how it were. You're just walking around with a bit of a limp for a, for a while and uh, people saying, oh, you're right, we heard you got stabbed and blah, blah, blah. So everyone was talking about it, which made you front page news, mm. you know? Um, Local hero. Yeah, exactly. To them. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But the wrong hero. <laughs> yeah. You know? And then I moved into it and at that point I was I started selling hard drugs. Well, not I, not me personally selling them, but I was running them for, for okay. older people. Mm. Um, and I didn't know what these drugs were. I've, I've heard the name, but I don't know what it were. What was it? Heroin. Okay. But you mentioned heroin to me. It's just like heroin. It's mm. just a word. What is it? Yeah. yeah I do have a clue. Yeah. So I was I was moving that stuff about, um, just getting a bit of change for it. Like even the tenor back then, it flipping means a lot of money to you. And I managed to get a placement in a hostel. It was Somerville House, it was called, on, on Forest Road. Mm. And I moved into there. So when I've got in there, I noticed that there was a lot of people that was like, uh, what they call it in the heroin, it was like gouching out. So they, they was like asleep on the sofas. Mm. And, and I've said to this kid, I was like, what, why, are they also, why is everyone sleeping? Why don't they go out and do something? Mm. And they was like, like, they're on heroin. I was like, heroin? Like, mm. I say that stuff. What, is that what it does to you? Mm. He was like, yeah. And I was like, really? And he was like, have you never tried it? I said, no, nah, I've never tried it before. And I used to smoke uh, cigarettes back then. And he was like, you can, you can smoke it in a cigarette. That's what I did. So I tried it and it had me straight away, basically, from that start. Because <laughs> like, you can meet you meet some people and you can speak to some people. They either like it or they don't. Like sometimes it can make people feel sick and the feeling that they it, it makes them have, that puts them off and they don't want to touch it. But that had the opposite effect for me. I enjoyed that. And, it, and from the minute that I tried it, everything that probably would have been going on for me in my life, I forgot about. How old were you? Nearly 16. Bloody hell. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, nearly 16 years old. That's so young. Yeah. And I was hooked. That is... I'm battling my emotions here, I'll be honest with you, because I know this story, but 16 years old, your life hadn't even begun. Mm-hmm. You were just a young boy, really. Yeah. And it you were hooked on something that is really like literally scientifically the hardest drug to come off of. And it's also one of the strongest drugs you can ever take. Mm. And the, the, the effect that that had on me, yeah, I got hooked pretty quickly mm. and I was taking it from that on no moment on basically every day. How were you paying for it? I was selling it. I was using the supply that I had, which as a, as a result of that, I got in debt. Mm which is, I know you've got another question, that I don't know how far down that is, but it's it, it got me in debt and I was using the supply that I had. Um, but, the, you know, even still with a few things that I'd saw in the hostel, you know, I, there was a there was a guy that I met in there called Mark, and I can name him because I don't think he's alive anymore, but he was he was in the hostel and he'd, he'd overdosed. So where he, where where I'd like been in his room at one point already and I'd spoken with him he told me what he was going to do I said all right cool I'll come back in five ten minutes um I went back in then five ten minutes and he was up against the wall foaming at the mouth and he'd OD'd and that was the first ever time I've ever seen that happen mm. to anyone and it freaked me out mm. so I've gone downstairs straight away to tell the to, to tell the staff members that that had happened I, be, I saved his life really because he could have passed away mm. very quickly mm. he was in hospital for about two weeks and even that didn't pop me off. And I did have a chance because my key worker that was in the, the hostel at the time said to me, 
please tell me that you're not taking heroin. Please tell me you're not taking heroin. And I, I denied it straight away. I said, no, nah, of course I ain't taking it. I were, and I was pretty hooked at that point. If I'd have been honest, I look back and think, if I'd have been honest and said that, yeah, well, I am taking it, would I have managed to get the help and support that I needed there and then to not end up how I did end up many years later because I would have given, been given that opportunity? Mm. But obviously that opportunity went under the bridge and I continued then on throughout other years. So Did you only smoke it? I, I smoked it for the first six months. And after that, you And then after that, the smoking wasn't hitting it anymore. So usually what happens if, if it's not, if you're not getting that, the buzz that you was previously getting, you'll go to a way that you'll get it quicker. Okay. And that's how I did. Okay. Obviously, this path that you were on led you to go to prison. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a natural progression. But I do want to ask you something before we talk about that. Because you're not a drug addict now. Mm. You're clean. How many years have Seven. you been clean? Which is really good. And, mm. and kudos to you for that. Because I know, per, like not from my own experience, but I know how hard it is to come off drugs. Mm. And it's not an easy thing to do. So I think you have to keep reminding yourself every single day how wonderful it is for you and Carla and the kids that you have kept yourself clean for such a long period of time. But what I wanted to ask you was this. If I said to you, I tell children not to smoke weed because it's a gateway drug to other drugs. But they say, it's all right, it's herbal, it's grown in the earth, I'll be okay. What would you say, being someone who started smoking weed and then started taking heroin and is now clean? What would your response be to them? I think it's it depends on their circumstances. I mean, you know, looking at like adverse childhood experiences, and if you look at if you look at the statistics now, f uh, every, five in ten children go through something adverse in their life. It's sad to say, but that's what they do. It's five in ten, which is quite a lot mm -hmm. of children. And I've met quite a lot of young people that that do smoke weed, and they think the same as what you've just said that you know it's good for you, and um, it, you know it's. It can be it come out the ground or it's grown and you know people look after it and it's okay. But the problem what you're finding is it's not the way that it's grown. It's what it's mixed with chemically now, and that's what makes the brain go and work is a different imbalance to the way that you think and it does alter the way that it's a mind altering substance. These drugs are gateways. They are gateways to other things because it, not only will it be cannabis, the next thing probably that it will be go up because when they get to that certain age, they're allowed to go out drinking now. Then cocaine comes into it. So I've seen it many, many times. And there's people that I know that, that have started off with smoking cannabis and they, they have gone to harder drugs, to the class A's, to the cocaine, to the heroin. I always say be careful mm. with your decisions that you make. Um, and also a lot of it comes from peer pressure. So you could have like, a, let's say a group of 10 of you, um, seven of you are, are smoking weed but there's there's three of you that are not you're going to be the odd ones out so then the pressure comes from that that now you're more inclined to actually start smoking it because the other excuse me the other seven are and uh, there's a lot that comes with it school you got to think the way that you think you're you're you know you're working within your school with your work um you're not going to be on form when it comes to doing your gcses and stuff you could be starting with like paranoia at an early age. Mm. It affects you massively, mm. but people just don't understand it because it's so out there. 
I mean, you could put on the TV, you could watch YouTube, or you could watch movies, and, and it, you'll see and notice, even with rap videos, everybody's smoking weed. Yeah. So you've got l young people looking up to these people that are influencing as celebrities that are smoking weed, and young people are following Normalizing suit. Normalizing it. They're following suit. So you can say, in certain circumstances, that you're fighting a losing battle with it, because if they can do it, and it's allowed to be shown on TV, it can't be that bad for you, can it? But it actually can because obviously the longer the longer term effects that that has on you, you won't understand until you go too far, mm. and then you'll realise it and then be in the position that I was. So the position that you were in was that you were committing crimes and going to prison, but you weren't just committing crimes and going to prison. You were committing crimes so you could go back to prison. Mm -hmm. What was your thinking? Why were you doing that? Why were you in that circle of events? Why were you doing that? Because I was always homeless, so I'd be sofa surfing here, there, and everywhere. Um, I'd be battling to get have a property with a, to get a roof over my head, going to the council constantly, being a young person and stuff, trying to get houses a nightmare. So when I first initially went to prison, it was easy. I was scared at first, obviously on the bus on the way there. You know, I was really nervous. I didn't know what to expect going mm. there. But the minute that I landed in there, it wasn't bad as I thought it was going to be. And I try not to say this to young people because I don't want them thinking, oh, well, actually, what, prison's not that bad. Yeah. Don't get it twisted. This was back in the early 2000s. Prison's Different changed now. now. Yeah, yeah. But back then, it was, it was okay. I, I had a lot of fun. I, I made friends with people. There was actually quite a few people that I knew that was in there. And when it was time to, for me to get shipped out of a certain prison to another one, I didn't even want to leave. Mm. I was like, no, 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 don't, don't. I want to stay here because mm. I'm like with him, him, him. I don't want to go anywhere else. I'm comfortable. But, you know, when you're allocated to other prisons, you have to go. Mm. So my first prison sentence was obviously it was Glen Parver in Leicester. And then from Glen Parver, I went to Doncaster, which was, it used to be called Hatfield Open Prison, but they changed the name to Moreland's because they were switching between the two. And where I'd gone from a closed prison to an open prison, oh my God, like I thought all my, it had all come at once for me, Christmas. It yeah. was there. Now you've got free roam to do anything. You've got a key to your door. You've, you go out to the re to, for your food and everybody's congregated in the same hall and you're all eating together, mm. HMP and YOI together, mm. uh, men, men and kids, yeah. all e uh, eating together. The food was massive. Like you, you've got whole plates of food. You can yeah. go out for seconds if you want. But I was thinking, Jesus Christ, mm. seven days a week gym. So it was just like being outside, but you're not outside. It's just the only inconvenience to it was you just don't get to see other people outside on the street. You know, your old friends and stuff, but you've just made new ones, so it don't matter. Mm. So that was that was it for me. I just I really enjoyed it, and I was safe. I had three meals a day. I had a roof over my head. I had money for canteen because I had a job. Um, I was able to pay for my own stuff in there, and I was comfortable. So that was probably the reason why I kept getting myself put back in or not even be bothered if I were in. It didn't make any difference to my life, to be fair. I actually think that that goes a lot to say what the government of this country um, does and doesn't do for, or did at that time, I can't say now, but at that time, because we were both homeless at the same time. Mm. And as a female, I got a really nice hostel very quickly, which yeah. I had the, my, my own key. Yeah. up my own staircase into my own flat that I was sharing with another girl. We had our own living room, our own bedrooms, our own bathrooms, our own kitchen. Yeah. I had my own flat at six, like 15, 16 years old. And 
I know that those kind of places don't exist for men. No. And also, not only that, I could get housed very quickly with the council if I needed to, whereas a man, you, how old are you? Do you mind me asking? I'm 41 now. So you're not, you're just a few years behind me. So we're kind yeah. of at the same, we were at the same kind of places at similar times. Yeah. And you didn't have the ease that I had because I was, so I had something called women privilege. Yep that you never would, even to this day with the council now, mm -hmm. a woman can get a place to live where a man can't. A man is expected to move in with multiple other men and share a room if that's what needs to be done. And that's a, a man housed. But a woman, if she's by herself, even with no kids, it's a lot easier for her to get housed. And that to me is a really big problem because that is why men turn, like you, mm -hmm. young men, turn to doing criminal activities exactly. because it's so much harder for them. So you were one of those people, you were one of those statistics. And had you have been female, your life story may have been very different. We're classed as males as non-priority. Yeah. Um, and they use the terminology of mental health. Yeah. Um, I went through this actually, didn't I? We went through this, when I fell off the rails seven years ago, yeah. when it all went pear shape, I relapsed. Because I was clean for a while before that. Let's get back. Let's get to the point where your life changed. And you said to yourself, right, I'm not going in prison anymore. I'm not going to take drugs anymore. How did? What happened in your life that made you want to stop? What was the catalyst for that? I was going through a bad time at the time. And I was taking a lot of medication as well. Okay. And I had something wrong with my liver. Um, and where I'd stopped taking drugs... Because I hadn't taken or wasn't taking the drug that I was officially addicted to, I thought it was okay to take other stuff. Mm. So I was still doing things that was mentally changing my the way, or the way that I behaved. So um, I was taking a lot of, like, I don't really want to name the names because obviously mm. we do channels and stuff, but I was just taking a lot of prescription pills. Okay. Um, and I was doing it, like, I was taking like Smarties. I was getting regular orders to my house every couple of weeks. I was just swallowing them like Smarties. And... Um, yeah, it, it, it escalated really, really bad. And at that point, I was dabbling again with that because um, the, the dealing didn't really stop. And I was, you know, I'd, I, I was involved. I could never seem to get away from it. My life always seems to drag back to that lifestyle. And, you know, if I'm struggling for money, the easy ways to make money is to go back to do know what I know best. It's what you know, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. If you were a carpenter, you'd go back to back carpentry. To carpentry. Yeah, of course. But you, you're not. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of what I did, and I, I did that, and I was I weren't in the right frame of mind, so I ended up using. Um, at first, it was secretively; she didn't know. And um, is this when you relapsed? Yeah. Yeah. So she didn't know, and then obviously, you know, you start slipping. You know, you've, your behavior changes. You start slipping. You leave things lying around, and you can't remember you've left it there. And she was catching me up with a lot of stuff. So that was causing some major issues in the house. Um, I started some treatment for my liver and it made me literally lose the plot. Like, it was not good stuff. Um, and Why, What was the problem with your liver? Was I it because of, Was it because of drugs? Yeah, I think so. To be fair, I don't know how I got it because I've had prison tattoos and stuff. And, okay. Um, I've done steroids in my time okay. and that. And like, yeah, and obviously intravenous as well, like yeah. use. So I could, it could have happened anywhere. Mm. I don't know. But when this had happened and I'd gone to the doctors, like, my liver was literally in a mess. 
and yeah, that there was a there was an opportunity for some treatment for it. I lied to the consultant saying that I'd been taking antidepressants to make sure my mental health was okay. I needed to get the treatment done as ASAP, as quick as possible. Mm. I was losing a lot of weight. I was being sick constantly every day, and I was taking a lot of prescription pills. So they got me on it, and within a week, when I, within a week, I was on that. I literally lost the plot, and I was kicking off in my house. I was doing things in front of my kids. I was flipping dinner tables. I was assaulting Carla. Like I was doing things out of character. Obviously, with these things going on, there's going to be you know a police involvement, and you know, and we, and we originally we did ask for support from social services in, in in the October before it finally exploded, and we was left hanging in in the in the winds with that, and they sent us a letter and closed our file because they didn't have enough staff to take it on. And then it, it slowed down a little bit with the behavior. Obviously, she knew more about it, and I was trying. I was back and forth, you know, like a yo-yo with it. And then in April, I'd had... I, I come into a bit of money, didn't I? I come into a bit of money, like insurance. As soon as that money had hit, it was quite a few grand. And as soon as that money hit, that was like my head straight away triggered. Money, loads of money. Now I can... I'd already fed myself with the flavor of what I'd originally been doing back mm -hmm. in the day. So I've already twigged my brain. Um, and I, yeah, and then I had uh, another kick, kick, kick off in my house and I assaulted Carla in the house. Um, it was in front of my kids. So the emotional harm that my kids would have seen as well as what I'd done with Carla, that was like the final, the final blowing point of what was going on in the house. And I was removed from the house fairly you know i can't really i can't argue against that because it was the right thing to do i was out of control and and then we had issues with social services getting involved with us as a family and you know and i, I went downhill for, for a good few months i lived in a crack house for a few months which why the hell would i want to live in there with a life that i've just had and now look, look, look at this like really so it did take a few months before the light bulb moment clicked and there was an occasion like Carla had come to find me and she found me. I looked a mess, which I did, even though I could look at myself in the mirror and not think I looked that bad, but other people looking at you just look a mess. Mm. And she like, you know, she said, what were you doing? You know, and I was just like, I don't want to do this no more. And then I, I stopped for the day after. I said, take me back, let me come in. Mm. Um, and I need to get out of the position that I was in for me to be able to stop. Mm. So she gave me that, that chance. And I stopped. You're very lucky. Very lucky, yeah. Because most women wouldn't have done that. No, not at all. So She's always been really supportive throughout the whole period as well. That's that's a really big thing. You're a very lucky man. Yeah. Very lucky man. And and I think it says a lot about Carla that she was so forgiving of things, but also so understanding yeah. that this isn't your normal character. And yeah. that it's you're being controlled by something that, that you can't ultimately feel like you can't control at that point. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing half yeah. the time. Like, st I still listen to some of the stories now and I just don't remember. Yeah, it's like someone else did it. Like, what, me? Yeah, exactly. Is that yeah. how it is? Yeah, it's yeah. hard. And I've pushed it away. Yeah, well, Loads. you would, wouldn't you? And your brain also, when you go through traumas, a natural reaction for your brain is to black memories out. Yeah. So it's a coping mechanism, isn't it? So your brain's telling you, no, these things didn't happen. Let me forget about them. And, and I'll move on and be a good person that I am now. Because the story behind the, the, the drugs. If you could say to the youth of today, one thing, 
about who they surround themselves with, what would you say? Different businesses or companies to, to donate money to get these bleed boxes up. The council or the government should do them anyway. They're saving people's lives. Get out of either gangs and drugs and do something really positive for other people. Behind the project, team is me and Carla. So it's just the two of you? Yeah, two's a duo.